Pardes North America presents Greatest Hits, The High Holidays, a curated collection of premium high holiday content from the Pardes archives. We hope it brings additional meaning to your Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur experience. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. For more high holiday learning opportunities, visit pardes.org.il forward slash events. And now, Greatest Hits, The High Holidays. We are currently in the days before Yom Kippur, in the Yamim Noraim. We are approaching this awesome day, this day of penitence and forgiveness where we confess all of our sins and where, in a sense, we have a traditional belief that we are sealed for life. On this day, we read the formidable story of Jonah, of Sefer Yonah, a very short book, four short chapters. And uh, it tells the story of the reluctant prophet Jonah, who is told to go and call Nineveh, the great city as it's described, to do tshuva, to repent before God. And on a first glance, and maybe the way that we read the story, is that Nineveh, respond very swiftly to Jonah's call, to the prophet's call. After all, it says, Nimve was an enormously large city, a three days walk across. Jonah started out and made his way into the city, the distance of just one day. In other words, he hadn't even covered he had only covered a fraction of the city, and he proclaimed, Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And it says, The people of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast, the great and small alike put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king, The king himself got off his throne, took off his robe, put on sackcloth, sat in ashes. And he himself, he announced throughout Nineveh a, a royal pronouncement. The king and nobles, no man shall eat, not even animals shall taste anything. And they all covered with sackcloth. And he tells them to cry mightily before God and to turn back from the evil ways and from the injustice of which he is guilty. And this indeed they did. And he says, who knows that God may turn and relent. He may turn back from his wrath so that we do not perish. And God saw what they did. That they had turned away from their evil ways. And God changed his mind and he renounced the punishment that he had planned to bring against them and did not carry it out. These are words which are remind us of, the, of God's decision not to punish Israel after the golden calf. At first glance, on reading chapter 3, it would appear that Ninveh did the most uh, profound shuva, from commoner to king, or from king down to pauper. They uh, seem to immediately respond to the call of the prophets in a most remarkable way. If only Israel reacted so strongly, 
to the prophet's call. And in fact, they, they seem almost too perfect. The king calls out and suddenly everybody, it says, Say the rabbis that they, all the stolen property, any property which was misappropriated and been taken without permission, suddenly it was returned to its original owner. I have to say that uh, there maybe is even something a little suspicious about this, because uh, where have we ever seen a situation in which animals, animals are not allowed to taste any food, animals are not allowed to eat and drink, animals have to fast? But if we take it at this, at this level, uh, we will see Ninveh as doing a, a wonderful, a wonderful tshuva. In fact, the, the rabbis use this as a classic paradigm of tshuva in Masechet Ta'anit, which talks about how we should fast and how we should call out for rain. Um, when they describe the, the ceremony or the daily order of prayer on a fast day, the uh, Mishnah in Masechet Ta'anit at the beginning of chapter 2 there talks about how the elder of the community, the prayer leader or maybe the rabbi, tries to encourage them and it says, Achenu, our brothers, he, he leads the community who are fasting, the community who are engaged in contrite tshuva, who are, who are repenting the day of fast. And frequently this was a fast and it, when the people were facing existential danger, where there was a drought, there was no rain, and people's crops were in peril. And he says, Achenu, our brothers, lo ne'emar ve'i. with the men of Ninveh, or with the people of Ninveh, it does not say, Vayar elokimet sakam ve'ta'anitam. It does not say, God saw their sackcloth and their fasting. Ela vayar elokimet ma'asehem. It says that God saw their actions. Kishavu In other words, this is a paradigm of not merely external tshuva, of, of fasting and of sackcloth, but rather of people who change their path, change their ways. Of a Kabbalah Omer, and in Yol it says, You tear your, tear your hearts. It is seen as if the people in Yona are engaging in a heartfelt tshuva, something very fundamental and deep. The people of Ninveh would seem to be exemplary in their activity. Now, this might indeed be the reason why we read this. On Yom Kippur, we're trying to encourage people as the day advances. We read the book of Jonah uh, as the Haftarah for Mincha. Uh, in the afternoon, the day is wearing on and time is running out. And we're saying, you know, now's the time. There isn't much time left. And we have an example here of a city who are able to be called to repent. And indeed, this is what they do. In fact, according to a rabbinic midrash, uh, this is why Jonah didn't want to take on his mission. He knew say the rabbis, that Ninveh would immediately respond and respond in a, in a very, very serious way. And that this would look bad for Israel, who were always uh, recalcitrant. They're always denying the way of the prophets. They're always rejecting the prophet's message that Jonah wasn't willing to go and uh, even ask a Gentile nation, Ninveh, a great city, to repent even if they were doing evil, even if that was God's plan, because this would look terrible when Israel in Jerusalem refused so frequently to change their paths. We are, after all, as the Bible says, a stiff-necked people, Ankshay Oref. So this is the positive view of Yonah. However, if you look at chapter 4, that was chapter 3 that we read before, chapter 3 of Jonah. But if you look at chapter 4, 
there's a very strange conclusion which seems to indicate something very different. If you recall the story of Jonah, after the city repents, Jonah goes out of the city and he makes a sukkah there. He makes a booth and he sits under the shade. And it says, Ad Until he should see what would happen in the city. I'm not sure what he was looking for. Maybe he was waiting for the 40 days to see whether indeed the city was destroyed or spared. Or possibly something else which we will raise in a few minutes. At that point, God provides a kikayon. A kikayon is a type of gourd or a plant which uh, creates shade. And the shade, uh, the kikayon, seems to have grown very swiftly and provided shade for Yonah. Yonah finds this a great source of comfort. It says, Jonah was exceptionally happy about the plant. But the very next day, a worm, God sends a worm, right early in the morning to attack the plant, the kikayon. And it uh, dies and dries up. And then the sun beats heavily on his head. Yonah wants to die. Yonah faints and he begs for death and he says, Tov chayai, I'd rather die than live. And now we hear God's response and God says, Vayomar Hashem, these are the last two lines of the book of, Nin- oh, the book of Yonah. Vayomar Hashem, Ata in English, the Lord said, You cared so much about that kikayon plant, which you didn't even work for, and you didn't grow. It appeared overnight, and it perished overnight. Should I then not care about Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not yet know their right hand from their left, and many beasts as well? In other words, Yonah, try and understand what I've done with Nineveh. Look, you can even care about a little plant and cry when it dies, and I shouldn't cry about all these people, 120,000 people and lots of animals. Now, there's something mightily wrong with this conclusion. Because if I was writing the book of Yonah, and if I was God, which of course, what might I have said? I would have said, you care for a kikayon, which you didn't work for, and you didn't grow, and it was here today and gone tomorrow. And I shouldn't care for Nineveh, the great city, which has 120,000 people in it, who just who all repented with a full heart before me. In other words, if we are correct that Nineveh repented, why does he say, and I shouldn't care about Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and many beasts as well. I don't get it. If they just did tshuva, like we saw, why doesn't he mention it? They just earned their right to live. He should have said, and I shouldn't care about Nineveh, who repented fully before me. But God doesn't say that. I would say that there is a contradiction of sorts between chapter 3 and chapter 4, because chapter 4 suggests that Nineveh's tshuva was not thorough. And here I come to Jonah's complaint, Jonah's outrage to God. Why did Jonah run away from God? Why did Jonah refuse? Why was Jonah refusing 
to go and propose that Ninveh do tshuva. Isn't that the role of a prophet? The role of a prophet is always to call people to repent. If Yonah doesn't want people to repent, then how is he a prophet? If you look at the beginning of chapter 4, Yonah tells us why he ran away. When Yonah saw the tshuva, the repentance in the city, it says, Jonah, this was bad, this was bad for him. And he was upset, he was grieved. And he prayed to God and he said, Oh Lord, isn't this what I said to you when I was still in my own country? And this is why I fled before to Tarshish. For I know that you are Kiadati, Kiata El Khanun Varachum Erachapaim Brav Chesed Vini Khamalara. I know that you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, renouncing punishment. What's wrong with that? In a class with Muhammadvitz, she once pointed out that there's something missing in this verse. Kiadati Kiata El Khanun Varachum Erachapaim Brav Chesed. And what do we expect to be next? The word? The emet, but it's not there. It says, Jonah's complaint is that God is too merciful. And here we come to another rabbinic tradition, which sees the repentance of Ninveh as being exactly the opposite as what was described in chapter 3. Amr Rab Shimon ben Levi. Rab Shimon ben Levi says, The people of Ninveh were duplicitous. They did a tshuva which looked like something from the outside, but it wasn't from the inside. Rav Chuna B'Shem Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta says, They put nursing cows on the outside and their mothers on the inside. Little donkeys, baby donkeys on the outside, uh, on the inside and their mothers outside the barn. The mothers were, were, the mother animals, the nursing animals were bleating and were making all their noises because they wanted to care for their children. The children were hungry. It's talking about animals, cattle, donkeys. The people of Nimve turned around to God and says, If you won't have mercy on us, we won't have mercy on them. Another statement. Rabbi Yochanan says, They each returned from their evil ways and from the stolen goods that were in their hands. Says Rabbi Yochanan, that which was in their hands, they gave. In other words, that which was in literally in their hands. That which they put in their drawer, in their closet, in the bank, they didn't give back. The heading here is, what happened here was that this was not a thorough tshuva. Where? Where does this come from? This clearly comes from Jonah's complaint. What's he saying? He's saying, this is not a thorough tshuva. Why does he wait and sit in a sukkah outside the city? Maybe it's to see whether the city is destroyed, but maybe it's for something else. He knows that their tshuva was a momentary tshuva. He knows that their repentance, that their reform, from their evil ways, was something which was going to last a day, two days, three days. And he waited outside the city under a sukkah, under a, a shelter, to see what would happen in the city. What would happen in the city, in other words? How long is this going to last? 
How long is it going to persist? How long will their reformed activities remain? Or how substantial is the change that they have undergone? According to Rabbi Sh- uh, Rav Huna B'Shem, Rabbi Shimon Mechalafta, they used trickery towards God. They tried to induce God to exact his rachamim. Rachamim from the word rechem, from the word ru- womb. God's mothering instincts. They said, we're not going to let the animals nurse. We're not going to let the mothers nurse the children. We're not let the children suckle from the mothers. We won't let the ordinary course of of, of the rachamim, the motherliness that you, God, have embedded into the world, into the natural order, we won't let a mother nurse his children. And if you will not have mercy on us, if you will not be a mother to us, then we won't let there be any mothers in the world. In other words, Ninveh using underhand tactics. Says Jonah, I can appreciate if you forgive the world with emet, but God, this is not about Emet. This is about Chanun, Varachum, Erech, Apayim, Rav Chesed, Nichamal It's that you are so compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in kindness, renouncing punishment. Where's your Emet, God? I understand Shuva, repentance, if somebody's really reformed themselves. But these people haven't reformed themselves. They're not changing. They haven't changed and they won't change. So why are you forgiving them, God? What I would like to argue is that chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Jonah actually express a dialectic in our tshuva. They express an ambivalence, two sides which in a sense clash and contradict. Chapter 3, if you want, delivers an idyllic image of what happened in Ninveh. Yes, the people did tshuva. The people repented. They, they returned their stolen goods. They cried out to God. But chapter 4 suggests that really, it's not that they perfected themselves. Maybe no one can do that. It's that God is so merciful. And I shouldn't care about Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not yet know their right hand from their left and many beasts as well, as well. Or put it a different way. We all make commitments in this week of, of Yom Kippur, of the 10 days of repentance. We say, we will we'll promise we do this, we won't do this. And yet at some level, when we make these New Year's resolutions, we're aware that they're going to frequently be very difficult to sustain. As we sit with Jonah in his sukkah, how long do they last? One day, two days, a week? And I would like to suggest that one of the things we're doing when we're reading the book of Yonah is not reading it for us. We're reading it for God. We're saying, God, maybe we should live up to chapter 3. Maybe we too should not just fast and put on sackcloth, but we should really change our ways. And indeed, we will try. But in the absence of that, there is something else which is simply your mothering instinct, God, your rachamim, not din, not justice, chapter 3, but rather rachamim, mercy, chapter 4, the instinct of the rechem, of the womb, God's mothering side, maybe not even avinu, certainly not malkenu, but rather imenu, God as our mother, God expressing mercy. Why should God have mercy on us? The same way that Jonah cared for his his kikayon plant because it gives us pleasure because we are fickle what is god saying here god is saying you are such a fickle individual jonah you stand up and refuse to represent me in the name of emet in the name of truth look at you jonah you had a plant you didn't deserve it you didn't work for it it came and gave you shade for a few hours and then it died and you're distressed and depressed you're a broken man because of it 
Look how fickle you are. You're just a human being. And I shouldn't have mercy on Ninve with 120,000 people who don't know between their right hand and their left. I don't care whether they did shuva. Is that shuva really substantial? It's not important. They're people. They've got animals. They have life. What do we say? Remember us for life. God desires our life. In other words, whether it's true, tshuva, whether it's not true, we're asking God to exact his rachamim. Why? Because we're frail human beings who don't always live up to our commitments, but that God wants life. In our slichot, our penitentiary prayers, that we say for the week before Rosh Hashanah and throughout the 10 days of repentance, we say, The soul is yours, the body is yours. Have pity, have mercy on your work. And this phrase, chusa al amalach, have mercy on your work, is taken from here. What does what does God say? You cared about the plant which you did not work for. You didn't even work for them. And we say, God, you did work for us. Chusa al amalach, we are the work of your hands. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us because even though we try and repent and we show that we care, even though we know what we did wrong and we try and make amends, sometimes we're not going to manage to live up to our commitments. Sometimes even our resolutions only last just a few days. One of my teachers once said, it says that Jonah sits outside the city to see what would happen in the city. And I, I presented this as being to see whether, whether the changes they had made would last. But what does he sit in? A sukkah. And my teacher said, how many of our commitments that we make in Mincha, in Ne'ilah of Yom Kippur, we say, we won't do this, we will do this. How many of them last till Sukkot? How many of them last five days even? We hope they will. And when we say them, we mean it. And yet at the same time, year after year, we sometimes make the same mistakes. And therefore we turn around to God and say, God, this is the day of forgiveness, Yom HaKippurim. Yom HaKippurim, the day of atonement, maybe more than atonement, the day of God's forgiveness, the day when God covers over our sins, L'chaper is to cover. And we're saying, God, on the one hand, we will try and do tshuva, like Jonah chapter 3. But if we don't manage to do it, Jonah chapter 4 kicks in. Maybe the people of Nineveh didn't really make such a substantial change. It's very strange that they engaged their animals in the process of repentance. How can an animal repent? And is an animal really comparable? but an animal is a living being. God, you've got to have mercy on that. And we too are human beings who sometimes don't know between our right and our left. And therefore, we say to God, you cared about, or God says to us, you cared about the plant you didn't work for, which didn't grow, which appeared overnight and perished overnight. That's us. Man comes from dust and goes back to dust and says, God, should I not care about Nimbay, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not yet know their right hand from the left, and many beasts as well. Adam Hashem. God will save the animals and the and the beasts because we are God's creatures. What do we say now? Yom Kippur prayers, right? You are our shepherd. We are your flock. We are God's people, and therefore we hope that God will understand our misdemeanors, our our wrongdoings, and will give us a year of life of mercy, and that it should be a good year for all of you, a year of continued learning Torah for caring for our families and a year of life. Wish everybody a Khatimatova, Gamar Khatimatova to you. Shana Tova.
Thank you for listening to Pardes North America's Greatest Hits, The High Holidays. If you like what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Visit pardes.org.il for more ways to learn with us. Thanks for listening.